Hello and welcome to series three of the Training for Influence podcast. This series is all about the importance of emotional resilience in frontline services, as requested by you, our listeners. In this series, we hope to unearth real stories of both avoiding burnout and rebuilding after it. Our aim is to share positive thoughts and ideas that will inspire, protect and motivate frontline professionals. It's my great pleasure to welcome Marcella Leonard to the podcast to speak to us about emotional resilience today. Welcome, Marcella. Thank you very much indeed, Tammy. It's very nice of you to ask me to join um, in these podcasts, which I think are a hugely, hugely important topic. So thanks very much. Great to join you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Marcella, would you mind telling people a little bit about yourself? No problem. Obviously, Marcella Leonard, and you can know by the accident, I'm based over here in Northern Ireland. I run, again, my own consultancy, but I very much specialise, like a lot of people who might actually be listening to the podcast, I specialise in the whole field of child protection and public protection, but probably, as it was more known really for specialising in the whole area of sexuality and sexual abuse, because I'm a social worker, but I'm also a trained sex therapist as well. And I tend to bring my background as a therapist into the sexual offending, sexual abuse, harmful sexual behaviour world. I'm the author of the new AM3 Adolescent HSV Assessment Model with Simon Hackett. I carry out risk assessments. I'm also a therapist. I enjoy doing direct therapeutic work with mostly victims and people with sexual problems. And I do a lot more of the assessments with those who commit harmful sexual behaviour. And I deliver training and consultancy. So it's a bit of a range of things all over the place, really, Tammy, to be honest. Oh, wow. So lots of really interesting things there and all really connected with each other. But there's quite a strong theme there, isn't there? Well, there is really, I suppose, to be honest, and I think it probably does fit quite in with the resilience as I suppose a strong thing for me really has always been. I mean, I started in this work, you know, over 30 years ago, and I was very lucky at a time when the health service had money, if anybody can remember that, that, you know, I was trained to undertake assessments, but also at the same time was being trained to be a humanistic psychotherapist as well. So I felt for me, I was very lucky. I was working in a mental health organization and I felt it was important that I, I suppose for me, I got a lot of training around self-awareness, self-resilience, the importance of being aware therapeutically as to what was happening for myself in the room whenever I was maybe doing assessments of, you know, particularly difficult things to hear. So I think for me, the thread has always been about not delivering training just to be about understanding the topic, but actually understanding the impact of the topic, both on the person you are going to be working directly with, but also yourself. So the thread has been probably, yes, sexuality, sexual abuse, but more around probably trauma. And, you know, I suppose for me, I was working in trauma back 30 years ago when probably it wasn't given the same, I suppose, recognition as it is now, which is great to see now. So yeah, so there's a general thread of trauma therapy and training and bringing those key bits through, particularly for sexuality. Yeah, I can see that really strongly. And interestingly, Marcella, you won't know this. And I know that kind of our professional paths cross now with the Association of Child Protection Professionals, but also previously in my role as CEO at Reshape and your work in partnership with NOTA. So I know our professional lives cross now, but actually about 15 years ago, I attended some training that you were delivering. And I've never, ever forgot the training. And I talk quite openly now about my history, my abusive past and how it's impacted my decisions and my values. 
but very honestly 15 years ago I didn't at all and I remember sitting in your training and being blown away and I remember to the extent that I took myself out of the room for five minutes to process some of the emotions and I actually stopped and spoke to you at the end and asked you your perspective on some of the trauma that I was still experiencing as an adult who was working within charitable criminal justice services at the time but relatively new to kind of those triggers really and I remember talking to you at the end and walking away feeling like you really really understood where I was at and that was my first experience of having a professional in a training capacity really connect with me and so I don't think I've ever mentioned that to you before so I did just want to kind of stop and just say thank you because that's something that sits with me and I I will always remember. Well, uh, Tammy, that's very kind of you. It's very kind words to have said and to have remembered. But I suppose there's also a part of me, honestly, genuinely now sitting thinking, thankfully, I was okay with you. Because, you know, let's be honest, as trainers, you do your best. But sometimes, particularly at the end, when you know that somebody comes up to you, you're tired. And I'm always, it's one of those things I've always been very cautious of. It's the time when you could let your professional side down and you're just tired at the end of the day and you're trying to pack up and you know that you could, I've, I've always tried not to be very quick with somebody when they come up at the end of a training session because I think believe it or not the amount of people who do come up at the end of a training session and although they may not personally say this is about me they'll maybe ask about a friend or somebody so all I can just say is firstly I'm pleased I maintained some level of professionalism with you because it is hard at the end of a training I think and I always have respect for trainers at the end of a training thing but yeah I'm, I'm happy that it hit a few chords even though it probably hit some very uncomfortable chords for you at the time particularly when you maybe weren't ready to maybe really look at it at that time and it can be difficult it's a difficult topic really you have to be all as ready in a training when you're dealing with these very difficult subjects of abuse that the reality is there will be people in the room whom it will hit very 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 painful chords with so thank you for sharing that firstly well just to reassure you because I remember it really clearly you actually recommended a couple of books to me And you gave me your email address to follow up with you if I needed to. And it was interesting because I think that it was, for me, going on your training way back then was exactly what I needed, if that makes sense. And now I've been delivering training probably for about the last 10 years. And obviously I I run Tay training and we have lots of facilitators and all of our subjects are connected to safeguarding or delivering safe practices. And it's something that I'm used to now, you're right. We have a lot of people come up at the end that either have just recognised within that session something that has never kind of dawned on them previously or they've made those connections and it can be really difficult and we've had trainers that have then come back to us and needed support themselves to also process what some of the delegates have shared with them so um thank you I guess for for influencing how we respond in those situations now because as I said I won't forget how much that meant to me at that point And you're right, you were a trainer at the end of your day. But no, so we'll move on so I don't embarrass you further. But No, thank you, Tammy. But I think what you have raised is there, I suppose, there's several different things around resilience, you know, as trainers. Because I think when you are dealing with a difficult topic, I think for me, what I struggle with sometimes where particularly trainers who are maybe not They have a knowledge of the topic, but they don't have a feeling for the topic and certainly haven't worked with the topic where I think they deliver words that are words, but they don't realize the impact behind those words. And, you know, quite sadly, there's a couple of people who deliver training and unfortunately use very 
I suppose to me, very emotive language. And I have actually done therapeutic work with, I think now at this stage, maybe certainly over 20, 30 people who have been triggered negatively coming away from a training event. And the negative has actually been because the language that was used by the trainers to sort of develop much more of a a shock value, you know, And, and I think it is something that I'm very aware of where really, you know, as trainers, we need to be aware there's people in the room shouldn't stop us from being able to talk about some difficult topics because that's what training's about. We we have to do that. But honestly, genuinely, it, it is it really matters to me because I know there's people who can be very negatively impacted. And I've done personal therapy with them afterwards where they've contacted me after it. So, you know, I'm I'm genuinely pleased. But I think it is a resilience thing for trainers to be aware of that training isn't meant to shock. It's meant to educate and help and support and learn. And therefore, we do need to be aware of our language because you could have a very resilient worker attending a training and actually come away shattered. So resilience is also about how we deliver our topics because the topics we talk about in terms of abuse is very difficult. So it links very much into what you're trying to work on here. So yeah, an important topic. No, absolutely. Because I think, as you've said, you can use your words to kind of support and rebuild, but you can also use your words in a way that ill-informed or do lead to damage. So yeah, it's so important to be aware of that and important to be able to support people where they're at as well. Because as people come in the room, whether it's for training or I know you do some one-to-one work as well, but we don't know where they're directly coming from. We don't know. I know at the moment we all have a little bit of an understanding with regards to the fact that we all are experiencing a pandemic, but actually we're all experiencing it very, very differently. Completely. And I think the other thing as well is, Tammy, you know, I always start a lot of my training and saying, look, none of us were born in the gilded cage of not having any difficulties. You know, I always talk about the fact that, you know, I feel I came from a very secure family, but I came from a very secure family in the border county of Northern Ireland at the time of the height of the Troubles. So even if you might say that within that four walls of that home, do I feel my parents did everything they could for me? Yes, I do. But outside that home, I was brought up at a time when there was a lot of bombing and shooting and you know there basically was a a war going on here so from Northern Ireland point of view I always find we're probably quite tuned to what do we mean by trauma and impact and and adversities and one of the things I'm always very clear with people is things like poverty and neglect and you know so you may not have maybe for example suffered which some people might see as the worst type of abuse which is you know sexual but actually for me do you know what if you've come from a very very sadly maybe a, a very impoverished home where there was a lot of poverty that can also go to the very core of how you are. So I think for me, it's also about recognising all forms and all adversities, all impact and go to the core of your being. So I think sometimes we can also tend to minimise those, even when people are delivering training. I've heard safeguarding training where people, you know, brush over neglect and they, they brush over emotional abuse and then they get awkward when they're trying to talk about the sexual. But for me, of course, sexual abuse, but please do not minimize the other abusive forms, you know. So I think there tends to be a bit, I think, a bit of awareness now around the range and the breadth of childhood and adult experiences that can affect people. And it doesn't all have to be that we have to wait for one type of abuse to cause that harm. It can be from all of the types. So and experiences and countries they live in and all of those sorts of things. And you're quite right. All of that means how we would now cope with what we're coping with at the moment. And it'll cope, you know, people will cope in different ways. I know one of the things in particular, what I've found, Tammy, in terms of resilience for social workers, and I think I mentioned this recently in social media, was I'm getting a lot of social workers who themselves have been victims of a range of different types of abuses. 
some emotional, some neglect, some physical and some sexual. And what they're saying is now is the pandemic is really affecting their ability to what they previously felt they were able to do was not put their own stories to the side, but certainly they'd resolve their own stories and been able to then get on with doing their social work with people they're working with. What they're finding now is how the pandemic is really affecting them, that that resilience to put their own resolution of their own past to the side is not working anymore. So they're struggling to cope with their own stuff now, more so than they would have been because they just don't have the energy to cope with it all. Does that make sense? So I think that's really one of the things as to why I'm finding them dealing with a lot more social workers who are struggling to just genuinely cope with the work for all sorts of different reasons. And one of it can be about their own past. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense because we wear masks in different situations and we do silo our feelings or put them into boxes in different circumstances to be able to manage and manage our lives. And we we all have different, I guess, techniques and toolboxes to be able to kind of be able to undertake our working role. And being a social worker, you have to, without a doubt, you have to give a lot to your role because it is about building those relationships, spotting those risks, supporting people. And I think the pandemic has taken a lot of control away from us and a lot of that ability to be able to separate those elements of our lives. And I'm not on the front line doing social work at the moment, and I've struggled with that. So it's no surprise to me that some of the people that you're talking to are saying really similar things. Yeah, and I think part of that is because regardless of our pasts, I mean, there is something about sometimes the structure of the day routine allows us to be able to do those boxes, you know. So if you're finding that getting up in the morning, even putting on work clothes allows you to go, okay, I might have had an unsettled night's sleep, maybe about my past. I might have had some nightmares or some reoccurring painful thoughts about my past and what's happened to me. But for some people, physically getting up out of bed, shower and putting on work clothes and leaving the house to go to work allows them to be able to go, Okay, I'm now in work mode. And the things that they do by the time they enter the office and they see their colleagues and discussion of their cases. So literally the busyness of the nine to five work routine allowed them a space to also be able to not forget, but certainly put the past issues to the side. However, what we're finding now is that because a lot of people are having to work from home or there's maybe a shift as to when they can go into the office, but also they're bringing that difficult file material, physical documentation into their home. What some of them are describing to me now is getting up out of bed. They don't even have that thing of physically dressing for work, even though they're trying. But the reality is they're going downstairs. They're also maybe for some of them. I'm in the lucky position because I've worked from home and have done now for over 20 odd years. I have a space in my house that I can call my office space. It's not very fancy at all. It basically is a desk. But the point being is I have a space where I can leave my stuff and go into the other areas of my house without it impacting on it. What they're describing is not having that, if you can imagine that clothing barrier to be able to put on. Then they're having to do their work often at their kitchen table because they, you know, maybe don't have that other workspace because normally they shouldn't have a workspace because they should be out at their office. And what they're saying is, is that then they try to put those files away, but they can see those files when they're trying to have their dinner, when they're trying to relax. And that there's something about the past is now seeping in all the time that they're struggling to try to keep their own personal experiences separate. And I think what I'm trying to do with them now is build that resilience to cope with probably being triggered more than they would have been because the barriers that they would have put up, which were very successful in terms of, you know, the physical going out and doing your work, 
it's just not there. And they're having to really sort of, I suppose, reach down deep inside themselves to come up with as much as they can do to protect themselves. You know, and I think that has been a significant presentation of a lot of social workers who I've been dealing with. It has been coping with their own material. And that's not even counting, Tammy, what's maybe going on in their own home at the time. I mean, You've just described my home life, which is a carousel of trying to find a quiet space and fighting my children for it because they're homeschooling at the moment, but also recognising that everything's going on around us at this point. And if you're a social worker and you're trying to do Zoom calls or phone calls and things like that with either your colleagues or vulnerable people trying to take part in meetings, things like that, the added pressure as well of having life around you and the added guilt potentially of And I know that I've certainly felt it and I'm not a social worker doing frontline work at the moment. The added guilt of knowing that my children are are also being homeschooled and am I giving them enough attention and I'm giving all this attention to my work. But is that then at the detriment of my family life? Do you know, all of that is seeping in. Well, it's just huge, Tammy. I mean, it's seeping in the foundation of the home in terms of it seeps through the walls. It's a bit like a damp where you don't actually see it. And I think the problem is as well is that, you know, for me, the range of things I'm dealing with with some of the social workers is for some of them, their home life is OK. You know, they're content. It's fine. They're, they're happy. And that's all right. They're just trying to deal with managing their past seeping in. But for some, unfortunately, and sadly, it's their past, but they're maybe also living. I think it's this concept as well that people have is that people from professional backgrounds don't experience domestic abuse, don't experience emotional abuse, don't experience, you know, very abusive homes and What I'm finding for some of my social workers who are speaking to me is probably having to face the reality of their home not being a safe place either. And then on top of that, I mean, I had a social worker in child protection and she really was struggling because she's like yourself. She's trying to homeschool her children, but she's also very aware because she's having to do case conferences on the phone and on Zoom calls. You know, her children are hearing language that she would not have wanted them to hear. So in terms of, you know, if she's describing her concerns about the child and maybe a child's behaviour or the adult's behaviour. So suddenly she's using language in her home, which she feels I would have never wanted my children to hear. So, you know, she's getting worried that what are they overhearing, which means then does she say things out loud? So you have a whole raft of things, I think, to try and cope with. But fundamentally, what I'm finding is people's ability to really pull on all their strength of resilience. I think they're getting tired. I think people are just, I don't have it anymore. I think the winter months as well affect it in terms of not being, I mean, with gorgeous weather, even here in Northern Ireland, surprisingly, in our first lockdown. But you could sit outside, you could go for a nice walk. It was sunny. You could at least, you know, feel it was quite good. Whereas now, you know, the dark evenings, people aren't getting out for their exercise as much as they would have liked. It's raining. So you can't lose sight as well of the impact of not being able to leave the house for sun. And, you know, that affects people as well. So I think there's a range of competing dynamics, I think, going on for a lot of our care professionals that we need to be really cautious of. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think I underestimated the difference weather would make. And actually, I've really noticed that and even started taking vitamin D supplements because I read Mm. somewhere that that might help. I don't know whether it will, but at the moment, I'm willing to try nearly anything. But I think you kind of mentioned there the difference between, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic and where we are now. And people are tired way back when it felt like a short term. We're all in this together. 
let's really kind of knuckle down and get through. And now I think one of the things that we're finding is that none of us can really see when the end's coming. And that in itself has a huge impact. Absolutely, because I think certainly if we parallel this with maybe the child who's unfortunately maybe being abused, that's partly that child living with the sickness anticipation of never knowing when something's, you know, they, they get to the stage where you just live in it because you don't think it's going to end. And I think that means when you believe there's no end to something and you can't see an end to it, your resilience and you get more tired because each day it's asking you to cope and you can't cope. And I think it is a bit Whereas at least if we were had some sense, we could all come to even some sense of, right, this is all going to be over in April. We can go, all right, April. OK, that's and you can count it down in weeks and you could count it down in days and you could plan yourself. But it is absolutely right. Anybody suffering and living in something that's very difficult to live in, whatever sort of situation that is, if you don't have an end in sight, it really can invade your thoughts and it can invade your sense of strength and coping. So really, my suggestion all us to people is is stop worrying about that end goal you know maybe create your own internal goals of well by the end of this week or on Friday I'm going to do or so create something that makes you because there isn't if we're waiting on the government and we're not even going to go there Tammy because I think that would become a very difficult podcast to yeah, let's, let's just <laughs> I think if you're waiting on the government to give us our end date we will all get you know sort of so annoyed but I think this lockdown I think has taught me and certainly doing the therapeutic work with people is you need to create now your own goals that are very achievable at the end of maybe every week and seeing that each week is another week closer to when we are able to do as opposed to this going to be finished because the problem is if you keep thinking well this is going to go on until there become a sense of doom and gloom and having no control whereas I would be saying to people is let's look at what you have control over let's look at what can be a good goal for you let's look at what you could tick off to be something that's great I've been able to achieve that this week if I hadn't been in this situation I wouldn't have maybe got that done so Nearly refocusing it to be rather than something that we can't do things in, let's refocus to. So what has this time given you to be able to do and maybe create your own sort of achievements? How small they are is irrelevant. They're not about big things, but they're about a sense more of what can I do and what have I been able to achieve and what do I feel good about being able to do as opposed to I can't get out of this because it can really make you feel have no control over your life, which can trigger the past stuff. So it's really about looking at what triggers past thoughts of maybe feeling in the same situation of lack of control, of fear and something being done to you and and not having any control in your life. Yeah. I'd like to take a brief interval from talking to our wonderful guest today to tell you a little bit about Tay Training and Training for Influence. Tay Training exists to help you deliver exceptional services, services that have the ability to influence the lives of the most complex and vulnerable. All of our facilitators are operational experts. They tailor the training to your needs. They make it engaging and interactive And really importantly, it's delivered from a values-led perspective. This is the Training for Influence methodology, which we created to have added influence on the sector. We recognise the importance of building the emotional resilience of frontline professionals, influencing their values and supporting them to make values-based decisions. So we made this the golden thread of our training methodology. We truly believe that frontline professionals are perfectly positioned to positively influence the most complex of lives. 
But to be able to do that, we need to help them be the best that they can be. So Training for Influence is our creative solution. It can be overlaid onto any training course and means that frontline professionals, whether they're attending mandatory or specialist training, will have their emotional resilience built and their values positively influenced. Do you know, one of the things that I've been doing over lockdown and I've been going back to, um, do you know, the Stephen Covey kind of circle of influence where you you literally look at each thing that you're struggling with in life, no matter how small or how big, and you, you make a conscious decision and recognition about whether you have the power to influence that or not. Yeah. And I've actually been doing that and doing that with my children as well so that we can go, right, actually we're opting out of stressing about this and we're turning off the news, we're turning off that social media feed, et cetera, because that information, we can't do anything with that. That's out of our control, but we can do something with this. And we've done things like on our walks, collected sticks and then made a heart out of sticks and painted it and stuck it on the wall. And things like that, that are smaller things, but things that we are owning that decision. We're owning the ability to do that. That is within our control. And I have to do that because one of the biggest triggers for me is exactly, as you've said, that lack of control in the situation. And so I've had to really kind of work on my own mindset to be able to keep moving one step forward each time. And even then, sometimes I find that I've gone five steps back and I'm not working on the front line at the moment. Yeah, and I think it is that bit of, for me, a lot of the social workers, it has been about the doom and the gloom and getting angry and getting annoyed and looking at social media and the news and becoming frustrated. And, you know, and I know for me, I get annoyed when I hear about people who should know better, who are flouting the rules. And sometimes you're losing faith, you know, it's affecting your faith and your trust and even just your friendships and all of those things. So I think for me, it has been about encouraging, including for myself, it's been about, do you know what, you know, I will take a very scant look at the news, but otherwise I'm not. But I am trying to give myself goals every day that I can see. Well, actually, I was able to do that today. And you know what? In my normal world, I do an awful lot of traveling. In my normal world, you know what? I would not have got that done. So I'm really pleased. And I've actually got now when people are talking to me about, isn't it awful you can't do? I've actually tried to then say, well, actually, I was able to get this done. And honestly, when I'm talking about it, Tammy, I'm talking about simple things like, you know, I sorted out literally my sock drawer. I sorted out, you know, my underwear drawer. I sorted out my jewelry drawer or sorted out things where I keep things where actually they were all in a mess. And I, you know, shredded loads of stuff I didn't want to keep, you know, and through stuff that I think a lot of professionals have a drawer or a pile of stuff. Oh, I must read that sometime. So I think what I've done is I've tried to change that mantra into, well, actually, only for this, I wouldn't have had time to do. Now, they're not big things, but it's a bit of taking out the positive. What have I been able to do and take a bit of control over it? Rather than allowing it to really, I suppose, overwhelm me. And I'm finding with the social workers that I'm working with, because I'm mentoring quite a few of them now at the moment. And, you know, I've said to them, look, I want you to send me a wee text of to what were you able to do this week that had you been in your normal running around with your kids back and forth to different events, and which I'm sure you are too. What have you been able to do that actually you weren't able to do in the past? And it's been lovely. Sometimes it's been as simple as, do you know what, Marcella, I actually went back to bacon. We baked buns. The bacon's not great, but I baked buns. Do you know what? I don't think I would have had time to do that before. So I think resilience and building your own resilience is about how you use very small steps without seeing it to be something big to get a sense of control back in your life again. 
and reclaiming your home. If you're having to work from home, I've always said to people, reclaim all of the rooms in your house, but leave one corner to be your work corner, no matter how small that corner is. But that becomes your work corner and make it feel you're going to work. So if that's what's important for you, so do that, but don't have your work stuff all over your house. You know, so things like that that can build a sense of self-management and therefore can build a bit of resilience as to the work imposing on everything else in the house and therefore also be aware of triggers from the past and that's what I'm finding I'm trying to help people cope with how past traumas are unfortunately seeping in a lot more than they previously would have done but also do you know what it's firstly the recognition of that is important so that's really good people are identifying it which is great yeah I think it's really important but I think it's also that whole recognition that surrounding us surrounding frontline workers particularly social workers is also more pressure and more need from their service users as well and I think those two things kind of compounding makes everything far more difficult doesn't it so all of these tips that you're giving are things that just help us be that little bit stronger that little bit more capable because sometimes we can forget that in caring professions the vast majority of people that kind of come into caring professions have their own story, not always of trauma and sometimes interconnected within their family or their community. But people generally come because they're empathetic, compassionate people who want to help others and make change. And being that way inclined as a person as well can also make you People describe me as wearing my emotions on my sleeve, for instance, and that's certainly true. I I do. And I think the whole recognition that it's hard to look out and see that people were already struggling. You know, there's already enough poverty and neglect and harm to keep us all, unfortunately, busy for years to come. And the pandemic has increased that and really kind of put the focus on vulnerable people and people with complex needs. And so alongside juggling all of this from a work perspective and our own triggers and things, it's also being compassionate and empathetic is really difficult too. That takes so much out of everybody as an individual. Absolutely, Tammy. And to be empathetic, you have to have energy. I mean, empathy, I find, is an energetic emotion, you know, because you have to stop and think, what's this person paying? What are they going through? When maybe you have so much of your own. And I think it is that bit of trying to cope with it. And I think as well as that, you know, the impact of the pandemic on people having lost jobs and, you know, all of those things are just very, very difficult. And I think the difficulty we have at the moment is everybody needs empathy from everybody. And it's tiring. I mean, let's be honest as well. Sometimes it's tiring. And it's about, you know, I'm finding with some of my people I'm working with and on the end of a phone call, I'm also saying to them, do you know what? It's all right for just to say, I can't take this one today. And because it's about giving yourself permission to go, you, you can't be that all encompassing, empathetic person all the time. Because I think working from home, particularly if you're training, you know, some of my colleagues, like, and I know myself when I deliver training, you're in front of a screen all day. It's very, very difficult to maintain that energy level. And that maybe when you come off that call and you're then about to take a work call, you just find yourself, you know, I just don't have that energy. Whereas I'm saying to people, really be careful, you know, how do you make sure that you can still be professional? Because, you know, our service users are really suffering. I mean, they really are struggling. Very difficult for them. They can't even get their medical appointments. They're not getting a break, for example, with the kids going to school. They're not getting a break, say, if they're dealing with, you know, maybe, for example, young adults with learning difficulties, the day centres, the respite facilities, you know, if they have to 
get to their own appointments. They can't even get to their own therapy. So everybody is really struggling. And I think what's difficult then is maybe the social worker on the front is getting the brunt of literally that person can't cope anymore with it. So I think for me, it's about getting social workers probably to understand that really pandemic is about loss. We're all going through loss at the moment, loss of friendships, loss of going out, loss of lifestyle, loss of money, loss of income, loss of seeing people, you know, just loss. And if we're going through loss, our service users are going through greater degrees of loss. And therefore, this is about grieving. And therefore, you know, I've, I've asked a few of my social work colleagues that I've been talking to, I said, go back and just read again about grief. And, you know, some of these people are still stuck in a very angry phase and they are angry and we can see that and the world's becoming an angry place because there's so much loss. So I find sometimes it's about maybe not always berating themselves for not being empathetic all the time, but understand it's OK. It's OK that you're angry. It's about loss, but let's work our way through it. So I think it's a mixture of grief, it's loss, it's, it's impact. And if we're feeling that, Usually the service users we're working with, they have less resilience than we do. And we have to be very careful about that because we also need to be careful of our own professional standards as well. And, and that we don't end up losing our temper with somebody because we are struggling with it. So it is important we look after ourselves. Yeah. And it's interesting. On one of the other podcasts in series three, Carol, who I spoke to, who was a probation officer, she talked really openly about the fact that the time she knew that actually she was really close to burnout was when she recognised that her empathy and compassion were lessening. And she said that the reason she went into the job was connected to how compassionate she is and the empathy that she feels and such like. And she said when she started noticing that dissipating and having that impact on the service users, that's when she recognised really clearly that she was near to burnout. And you know what? For me, I would just say it's incredibly for that person to be able to have that insight because not everybody necessarily can spot it and then it becomes too late for them, if that makes sense. So I think it is really important to have that self-awareness and self-knowledge of something's not okay now. Why am I reacting like this? And it's back to that old bit of transference and counter-transference. And to me, all is very jargony, but very difficult therapeutic terms. My advice to anybody is have an awareness of your body and have an awareness of what your body's telling you. And if you find yourself that you're grating a lot more, that you're losing your temper a lot more, or you're short, or that you just know that, you know, actually I'm losing empathy here, or indeed it could be the other way around where, you know, you're just not probably maybe caring, which is another thing. And let's be honest, and you're, you're beginning to become quite detached from the, the service user grouping or whatever that is. I think it's really important to listen to your body, listen to what's happening, listen to how you're literally typing, listen to how you're dealing with things and listen to those sorts of things. And those subtle signs will start. But unfortunately, people don't listen out for those early enough, Tommy. And therefore, by the time they really listen to them, sometimes it's not too late. That's a dreadfully negative way of looking at but it can take a lot more time to recover from because it's been going on maybe too long so I would say listen to the early signs maybe seek to speak to somebody about those early signs because it might be then just about taking a bit of time out to build the resilience again and identify it then if the signs continue then again it's about being able to therapeutically talk to somebody about them so then when you make the decision that yes I need to step away from this work for my own well-being that you're doing it having therapeutically worked your way through it but not leaving it and then having to do that as well so it's really important about a bit of time and things so listening to your own body and what it's telling you is really important. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the only thing that I would add to that, and I appreciate it's a little bit more tricky at the moment, is also look out for the signs in each other because there's been a couple of times in my professional life where actually I've been caught before I fell because somebody else who I'm working alongside has noticed that I'm behaving slightly differently. And I've not been aware of that. And they've noticed that and brought that to my attention sensitively, thankfully, at different points within my life. And I know that's it's a little bit trickier to do that now because obviously we're all on screens and things, but it's not impossible to do that. So yeah, look out for each other as well. Super, super advice. And I think it is a bit of when you get to know somebody quite well and your colleagues. And you know what? Sometimes that can be as simple as, gosh, she would have normally, you know, sometimes I find it's even about dress and it's about, you know, gosh, that's not how she would have normally dressed or gosh, that's not how she normally looks or gosh, he's looking more, not just quite as sharp as he normally would. Or The subtle signs can be in dress, it can be in language, it can be in, you know, behaviours. So it can be just very subtly, but you're getting a general sense of a caring for themselves. So listening out for it in their language, listening out for how they're speaking to other people, listening out to how they're just generally presenting themselves. I think I agree, very difficult over Zoom, but you can still get a sense of it. But it's those sorts of things to look out for and very carefully and sensitively then it is about saying, you know what, I'm worried about you. And I think if you open up a conversation and say, are you okay? I've just noticed I'm a bit worried about you. And that's all it takes. But as you said, it's important to be sensitive about it. Yeah. Just reflecting on them in our team at Tay at the moment, one of us is always down whilst somebody else is always up. And at the moment, we've got this really open, transparent culture where we're just really honest with each other. We're supporting and kind of covering for each other within that notion of all of us are on this corona coaster at the moment, you know, and when I'm having a bad day, somebody else is actually feeling really strong and vice versa. And I know I know in frontline services and talking a little bit more specifically about social work here, you don't always have that luxury, but to have a good team around you that you can kind of offload with, debrief to, have a virtual coffee with, all of those things that you would have done if you were in the same office can really make that difference as well and help you all be at a level where you're being able to manage you know, I'm not sure that anybody's going to be on the A game at the moment, but that's not what anybody needs to be aiming for either. It is about being able to look after yourself and to be able to deliver the best service possible. I completely agree. And I think it is that bit about giving ourselves a bit of a break. You know, you have to do yeah. give me a break. <laughs> do you know, stop thinking that you're going to be on top of everything all of the time. I mean, you're not. So I think it's really important to give yourself a break, sort of go, do you know what, it's all right to be functioning at level B and C. But when you know that you are, it is important to just sort of talk to somebody and, and share that and have a sense of that's okay. And that's where I suppose I would probably be saying to people, regardless of what field you're in, is supervision. You know, use your supervisor, use supervision. You know, you have a right to it, so use it and make it aware that you are struggling and, and ask for, you know, help. Because, I mean, again, that's what clinical supervision is there for. So I would encourage people if you don't feel that they can, you know, because not everybody necessarily wants to tell their colleagues if they're struggling, but supervision's there. A lot of organizations have access to external therapeutic, you know, sort of human resources access for people maybe to talk to. And if not, there's all those other helplines out there. So there's a range of things available to people. But the first step for everybody is listen to your own body, listen to what's happening, have an awareness, 
just of mindfulness of how you are. And if you know you're not functioning at that level and you know there's triggering thoughts coming in there and you know there's things really impacting on you, it is about you taking that first step to be able to just trust and, and say to somebody, do you know what, I'm not okay at the minute. Can we have a chat? And that's really important. Yeah. And I think the more that we're open and honest about that, the more other people will be open and honest about that because it gives us all that. I guess it's the reason we're doing these podcasts, isn't it? So that people recognize that this is normal. You're not alone. We all struggle and people deal with it in different ways. And that's all right, you know, because we're all different. You know, some people have dealt with it and taken a lot of exercise. Some people have dealt with it by cooking. Some people have turned alcohol. People have done all sorts of things and therefore it is recognition of we all deal with it in different ways, but it is about recognizing, particularly when we're coming from the current professions and other people need us. I think it's different depending on what other profession you're doing. But the reality is for those of us, it's not just from the social work, but if you're coming from the caring professions at all or working in the whole field of child protection or anything like that, where we are expected to take on the pain of others, where you're expected to take on the pain of others. You deserve your own pain to be acknowledged and you need to acknowledge that to yourself. And therefore, if you can't feel at the moment, you can manage that. It is really good to seek somebody else to use that as a sounding board. So just always remember, if we're here to feel the pain of others and manage the pain of others and help others manage their pain, well, then you deserve your pain to be given the same effort and time by yourself. And if you can't manage it yourself, seek some help and you know what that's great don't see that as a negative it's actually a really good thing to do because it'll look after yourself for your family and other people who interact with you wow that is a really powerful thing to uh, end on Marcella you just kind of stopped me in my tracks I'm not often speechless but just to process that sentence you deserve your pain to be heard and felt as well yeah you deserve your pain to be heard and felt and therefore feel it yourself. And if you feel you're struggling to do that, that's when you need to just give somebody else a call. And yeah. And recognize absolutely that that's a strength. That's a huge strength. I continue every day to admire everybody who can feel and acknowledge and be ready to acknowledge that their own pain deserves time and effort. And I acknowledge that. And it's really important to be able to do that and see that as a strength because you're building your resilience to the next generation, particularly if you have children, but even your family and friends will benefit from it as well. So yeah, acknowledge it and give it the time it deserves and recognize the impact of that. Brilliant. Well, Marcella, thank you um, so much for talking to me today. I Obviously, I've known of you and worked across the same sectors and organisations for a while now. So I've always known how brilliant you are and how well you know what you know and do what you do. But today, even though this is a podcast, it's felt partially like a little bit of a therapy session as well. You're so natural and so skilled at what you do. So um, please do tell people where they can find you. Well, the easiest bit is probably if they just Google Leonard Consultancy, that's the website and they can access me through that. Or my email is marcella at leonardconsultancy.co.uk and they can get me through that. Equally, I'm on Twitter at Leonard Consult and they can always hook up with me there and send me a direct message if they want to contact me. But probably the easiest way is through the website. That's the easiest way to remember it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. We'll make sure that we put all of that information in the show notes as well. So it's really simple for people to find. Is there anything that you would like to say just to the listeners just to finish off this podcast? 
not to the listeners, actually, Tammy, but to yourself. I just think you deserve such an incredible amount of praise for what you're doing. I think your whole movement towards making the ethics and the values of how training is to be delivered, I think, is incredible because that is about delivering resilient workers. And I think you developing these resilience awareness podcasts has just been a huge, hugely beneficial resource for people to have. So my final word is not to the listeners. My final word is to you. And I think you deserve every credit for for what you're doing because the listeners will obviously benefit from it. So thank you to you. Thank you, Marcella. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast today. We really hope you found it enjoyable and useful. Please do click subscribe and then you'll be the first to know when we publish the next episode. And we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who might find the tips useful or resonate with the stories. If you'd like to find out any more about us or our wonderful guests, all the information can be found in the show notes. We really hope you have a wonderful day. And please remember, be kind to yourself. It makes all the difference.